So last night, um, we had a just a great time. I was just so stirred up by the word, the fellowship, and, and uh, you know, what the Lord's doing. I just feel like God's doing something really new. Uh, somebody said it last night, that there feels like a shift. And in some ways, geographically, there is a shift. We're going to be kind of... Um, based in Magnolia and with our Bible studies in our local area. I feel like God's doing something new. And what I love about the body of Christ that is walking in the spirit, walking by faith, it never gets old, you know. God keeps changing it up, doesn't he? And I was just talking to Caesar and Jackie this morning, like, I think I've been pastoring almost 30 years. And I feel like I still, every week, every month for me is just a new, like, you know, it's all new and it's new fre- and it's fresh. And um, I just really sense that God is doing something new. And one of the new things that God does when, you know, it says, and we talked about this in our class yesterday in um, Ecclesiastes 7, it says, consider the work of God. And I was thinking, have you ever considered the work of God in your life? Have you ever, have you looked back? I remember when I turned 30, I was living in Ukraine and I didn't sleep that night. I was up all night just thinking, and what I tried to do is I tried to remember as far back as I could in my childhood, all the way back as I far as, and kind of look for the hand of God. Do you ever do that? And your and just intention. I had all night to do it because I knew I wasn't. Gonna, I had coffee late that night. And I knew I wasn't going to sleep, so I just kind of just okay. I'm going to go through my mind. I'm just going to look for the hand of God in my life. And and I was thinking about that verse. Consider the work of God, and that word "consider" in Hebrew means it doesn't mean just to reflect. It means to diligently, intentively, I mean intentionally look at, consider the work of God with the intention to learn something. And I just went through every year of my life as far back as I could remember, and I was just looking for the hand of God that led me into my salvation, that led me to Bible school, that led me to the woman that I would marry and the mission field that I would be on. And I was looking at the hand of God in my life, and I was considering the work of God. And I think that we live in such a frenetic, you know what that word frenetic means? It, it's frenzy. It means, just, it means just to be so insanely busy that we're just running around like we're, you know, we're just out of our minds. And we're, so, we're burning out in the moment that um, you know, some people are having trouble with long-term memory because they're short, I mean, because they're short-term memory is just burning up so much with everything that's going on uh, in their life at this moment. We live in, you know, conversations these days last for 30 seconds, you know, and there is no extended periods of time where we're sitting and fellowshipping. And when we think about, you know, in the book of Deuteronomy, it talks about that word, remember, 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 remember how God works in your life. And I think it's, I think it's really good to, if you want to encourage yourself, look at the hand of God in your past. You know, look how he's been working. Remember how God has, and God is speaking in Deuteronomy to the Israelites because God's going to do something new. Whenever you get discouraged, and by the way, discouragement is really something that is, uh, I got a text from a pastor this morning. And he said, please pray for me. I'm, I'm just struggling with deep discouragement. Those were his words. And it was a very short statement. It's like, I don't know, I talked with another pastor this week and of a, of a very large church. He's an amazing guy. Um, and he just shared with me, he says, you know, I, I feel like I want to throw in the towel. It's like it's, no, nobody in this room here knows him because he's a pastor in another part of Houston. But like this guy is like, you know, you'd be surprised. And he says, I've been so discouraged. I've been so discouraged because 
of you know all the the new the new environment of COVID is around me. He goes, you know, attendance is extremely low. Money's not coming in. <clears throat> and he said, he said I've been pastoring in the area for I think 37 months. And he said right after I became pastor, Harvey destroyed our campus, just wiped it out, millions of dollars of damage. And just a year ago, they had just finished rebuilding their campus, and now COVID. <laughs> COVID happens. Talked to another pastor who's actually just starting to plant another church, and he asked me if he could meet with me and just get some help and some, some encouragement. I said, sure. So we met, and the church he's coming out of is a big church, and, he, and they just built something too. And uh, he said that we're at, they're at one-third capacity in their brand-new building, and they don't know how it's going to. So we're in some very interesting times, and we're fa- and this week, I don't know, have you faced some discouragement this week? Have you faced some? I'm sure you have, because you know, as warfare, as we get, as we get closer and closer to the end of of, of all things, uh, we're going to notice two things happening. We're going to notice more warfare, more demonic warfare, and we're going to notice more power that God is going to be empowering the remnant, empowering people that really want God. But it's not, it's not going to be easy, and there's going to be times when the devil's going to come at you and just throw abstract discouragement. And so I want to talk just a few minutes about this, about um, why discouragement comes. And I'm actually preaching to myself because, I don't know, the last four years have, been, have not been easy for me. And I would say that, like, just the last eight or ten months has been, has been, I feel like we finally are shifting gears into, and I feel like spiritually, on the spiritual level, you know, we're... I feel like there's a momentum, this unseen momentum uh, in our midst. Um, if we look, you know, Billy referred to the verse last night, um, Ezekiel 7. And I don't know if I've ever, I don't think I've ever seen this verse before. It's Ezekiel, sorry, 13, 14. And I, I mean, let's look there um, at that verse. And basically that chapter is where God is dealing very severely with the, um, the prophets in, in Israel at the time. And then he, shifts, then he shifts gears in what he's saying, and then he says, uh, he says, you propped up these walls. Who's got that verse that can read it? Ezekiel, thir- um, sorry, is it Ezekiel? Ezekiel, right? 13, 14, right? <clears throat> I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundations will be laid bare. When it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it, and you shall know that I That's very encouraging. Isn't that great? That's a great word, huh? Praise the Lord. With that, we can just, uh, you know, we can face tomorrow. And, but I read that. For some reason, it really encouraged me. And, I, and I, in a really weird way, and I'll explain why, okay? And I'm not a doomsday. I'm not a pessimist. But you know something? There are walls that we have built because we're trying to protect something. We're trying to hide something, and we're trying to hide behind these walls. And it's because we have been injured, we've been hurt, we've been... And you know something, um, you know, we hear people talk about mental illness, we hear people talk about being a victim, we hear people talking about abuse. But can I tell you something? And I don't mean to minimize anybody's abuse, but we have all been abused in the, in the world system. We've been all bu- abused by the devil. We've been all been abused in one way or another, <clears throat> either physically or... Uh, spiritually or psychologically in an invisible way, there has been, and this is Proverbs chapter 18, that the words of a talebearer, which who's the talebearer, by the way? The enemy. Revelations chapter 12. The accuser of their brethren day and night. The words of the talebearer or the, ta- the words of the liar 
go deep and they destroy the most inner parts of the soul. And that's what happens to us. We grow up in this system and we're being injured by the system. We're being injured by, uh, by the world system that is bent on destroying people. The system is bent on destroying people. So what do we do? We're injured and we're not healed. We don't get healed because there's nothing in this world that can heal us. So what do we do? We build walls. We just build these walls and we do it unconsciously. We build walls because we really want to protect ourselves from getting hurt again. And we build these walls in such a way that they're so thick that we even forget what's behind the wall. You know, we build these walls, we build up these things because we're so afraid that I never want to be in that situation again where I'm standing in the rain and I'm rejected or that I'm embarrassed or I feel I'm uncovered or I never want to be in this place again where I feel ashamed or I feel that I don't measure up. I mean, every one of us are facing these things and there are moments in every one of our lives where it just gets the better of us. It just the cloud comes over and we're just shut down. We just shut down. We're like Elijah. Elijah, the prophet of fire, right? He's a prophet of fire, right? And he's like, he stands up against these prophets of Baal, and he's like, you guys, he prays 30 seconds, and fire comes down from heaven, and it just, you know what it does, it just eats up the the sacrifice and and burns up, you know, everything, and then he goes and slays all the, the prophets of Baal. This guy was one incredible spiritual prophet, and I, wanna, I wish I could be like that, you know? But God doesn't make everybody Samson's and Elijah's. And what happens moments later, okay? Elijah picks up his cell phone and he's got a text message from Jezebel. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. Just, I mean, you know, it's a Facebook message. And he is on the run. He runs 40 days. Have you ever run, run for 40 days? You're on the run for 40 days. Maybe some of us have. I don't know. Running for 40 days and he runs into the wilderness and he's just, and then he's exhausted. He just crashes. He's in the mountains and he's just laying there. He's like, God, slay me. I'm dead. I'm just, I'm so discouraged. And, and we don't know, but, you know, we don't know like what is going on in Elijah's mind. And, you know, that's okay. We don't need to know what's going on. By the way, we don't really need to dig and to know why we do, why we, why we feel the way we do. Only God knows because that's that part of us in Jeremiah 17, 11, that is so broken and so wicked that we could never even know it. And what does God say to Elijah? He says, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And then Elijah pours out his heart, and then God speaks to Elijah. We build walls because we are afraid to, to be hurt again. And God wants to tear down these walls. He wants to tear down these walls, and he wants to expose the foundations. And these foundations are foundations that we build, and that's what we call the false self. We get injured, and then we start building on this foundation. I will never be in that place again. And we start building this structure that is that's a lie, and it's the false self. It's this, it's this self that we want to project at people because we're so insecure. And, and guess what, guys? This is in the church. This is in the church. And by the way, people can get into ministry and become ordained as a pastor or be, be volunteering as a, in student ministry or whatever, because they are trying to prove to themselves that they have significance and they're trying to derive it from the religious, from the religious entity and it does not work. And, 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 and not that we want to get morbidly introspective, but God is always, he's always challenging us about what our motives are. And if our motives are wrong, it's okay. Just say, God, it's wrong. I confess it. I confess it to you. Replace that with your heart, with your eyes, with your feet, and we move forward. We don't live in condemnation. And just get used to that. Get used to repentance. And I, 
And I say that we don't have to repent to be forgiven because we're already forgiven. But repentance means I'm just changing my mind about the way I think about things. And I'm asking God to change my mind because we can't repent in the flesh. Repentance is a gift from God. And that's Romans chapter 2, that the goodness and forbearance of God leads us to repentance. And that's beautiful repentance. True repentance means, and Paul said to the Corinthians, it's like eight different things. Like there's this godly sorrow. There's this zeal to, you know, like read it sometime. There's this godly sorrow and it works repentance. And it's not emotional. But anyway, God wants to tear down these walls. And how does he do it? Well, he says, you will perish. Now, who is he talking to? He's talking to the flesh, isn't he? Like he's saying to the flesh, God's declaring war in the flesh. I'm going to crucify you. I'm going to crucify you. And I'm going to crucify it once and for all 2,000. In, you know, he's talking about the future. But he crucifies our flesh. I think that so much of Christianity is about propping up and modifying the flesh. Hey, you can do better. Work, work harder. Work on your marriage. Work on this. Work on your habits. Work on this. <clears throat> there's, no, and God, there's no way to modify or to help the flesh. There's only one thing that the flesh needs, and that is to be absolutely wiped out, crucified, killed. And there's nothing that I could ever do in my flesh to please God. And when you read the Bible, by the way, like, okay, maybe we're taking Bible school classes. Don't look at it this like, like, okay, now i got more things to do in my flesh. Just say, God, I can't do this. <clears throat> I cannot do this. I surrender. I lay down my life. I can't do this. <clears throat> I surrender to you. And as I surrender to you, work in me to will and to do of your good pleasure. And make that your prayer every morning. Like, Lord, give me the will and the desire to do of your good pleasure in my life. And when we do that, that's surrender. Because it's a lot easier to say, you know what? <clears throat> The flesh is looking for a program, right? Your flesh and my flesh, we're looking for a religious program. Because guess what we get to say? I'm doing that. I'm doing this. Hey, I'm a a pastor, or I'm doing this, or I'm that. And this is my identity. But guess what happens? That's a wall. That's a wall that's hiding something behind it. It's shame. It's brokenness. It's pain. It's guilt. It's whatever it is. God wants to get in there and heal that. God's like, let me get in there and heal that. Do you ever pray, and this has happened to me before, it's happened to me recently, and you're praying and praying and praying, and you feel like you're just not connecting with God. And you're like, God, what is it? I'm praying, I'm not connecting, what's going on? And God just says, because there's a wall there, and I want to break through that wall, and I want to, let's talk about that. Oh, no, not that, God. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that right now. Because I'm ashamed, <clears throat> I'm fearful, and I feel condemned. And God's like, no, I don't condemn you. We see this in Isaiah 49. I was thinking about Isaiah 49 this morning. It says this, that Isaiah 49 is this beautiful chapter about how God's going to redeem Israel and how God's going to rebuild Israel and how God's going to help Israel and he's going to make Israel a great nation and how God's rebuilding. And, and then he says all of this and he says, Israel, he says, how can I forsake you? How can a mother forsake his own infant t- uh, baby? And then it says, Isaiah says, I've written you on the palms of my hands. And we know what that is, right? That's crucifixion. That's, cal- that's the nails that went through Jesus' hands. That is, the, that is the mark of you and I on the hands of Christ. And by the way, when we get to heaven, Jesus is still going to have, he's going to be the Lamb of God. He's going to be the Lion of Judah. But he's going to, he's going to be freshly wounded. I think he's going to be, you're going to see the wounds still there. Not out of guilt and condemnation and to make everybody feel bad but to see the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. We're going to see that. And he's going to be the only person in heaven that has nail-scarred hands. And he said, 
When I did that, I did that forever. Crucifixion is forever. And so when Jesus, so when we get to, when we, when we see Jesus will be, and I think that that's, that's going to be what, that's going to be the ultimate communion at that moment. There's so many beautiful things to think about in heaven. And so God says, I've written, I've engraved you on the, on the palms of my hands. But then it says this very interesting thing. And maybe somebody can find it, but it's in Isaiah 49. It says, but your walls are continually before me. Did you ever read that verse? I'm doing all this stuff, but your walls are continually before me. I think it's just like God's working in our life. There's walls there. There's walls there. There's walls there. And sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't. Before, before you all came this morning, we were talking with Michael, and we were just talking about blind, blind spots. You ever been on the highway or a road and you're changing lanes and because of your vehicle, you don't see that right next to you is a vehicle that, you know, and they beep at you. It's a blind spot. And these walls create blind spots. And we think we're all good, you know? But we're like the little toddler with diapers that need to be changed. We think everything's great. We've gotten used to the smell. But we walk into a room and everybody sees it. <laughs> everybody smells it. Because we're a spiritual toddler and we need our diapers changed. And that's okay. We need the walls to be torn down. How does God deal with the walls and then going to close? Number one, he's crucified us. We're crucified. There's no way that we can modify these our flesh. If there's something broken about us, and there is, number one, Romans chapter eight, verse one, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. Number two, God wants to address that. He wants to address that. And he says, and this is the major frustration. If we could imagine God being frustrated, not angry, but just like, I wish they would understand our walls. And guess what? Walls are going to take years, maybe in some cases, decades, you know, to deal with. And it's okay. You're in a process. God's going to get you through it. Grace is going to work. It's going to labor in you, and you're going to, God's going to work. Don't lose faith in God for yourself. What God has begun in your life, he's going to complete. Amen. And don't feel like, like, okay, somebody may say, well, what you're saying here, that's bad. You can't say that because everybody's going to sin. No. But you know something? Like, what God begins in your life, he's going to be faithful to complete it. And don't throw in the towel. Don't quit. This is good. Don't quit. Don't quit. Just keep moving forward. Sometimes when we wake up in the morning, we don't feel like a success. Like this pastor I said, to, I said to him this morning, I said, you know, before your feet hit the floor this morning, you are a success. You need to understand how to find success. Success is not what other people are doing. Success is not X amount of number of people in your congregation. Um, success is, and I don't even like that word. Success is finding the will of God and doing it by faith. And trusting God for trusting God for the details. And so, what? How does God deal with the walls? So God, He crucifies our flesh. I love that because the old man is crucified. Romans chapter eight, past tense. The old man is crucified. And so many people, so many Christians are trying to deal with the old man. Like you got to work on yourself. You got to do this. We've all heard that message, and we walk out like, oh man, I'm so burdened now. I got to, you know, I got to work on this. I know I got to do this. And we're, I'm doing better. But it's like God says, I crucified it. Just live in who you are in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Surrender to the cross. And the, and the, and the walls get torn down. And you know, the, you know, and this is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 says this. And Paul is talking to the Corinthian church because the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians, I think it's 2 Corinthians, correct me if I'm wrong. Paul is saying, He's, he's addressing the church that he plants that's accusing him of using fleshly, uh, fleshly 
uh, fleshly manipulation as a pastor. He, and Paul's pushing back. He goes, no, my weapons of warfare are not carnal. I'm not dealing with you guys on a carnal level. Do you know how, have you ever been in a situation where, and maybe even in a church, where someone is trying to deal with something, but, it, but through manipulation? Through, and it's not God. It's just, it's just it's clever religious manipulation. Everybody knows it. And it's because, because, because that person is living in walls. We can live in walls. God says, I've crucified that. And then on a daily basis in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of walls, strongholds. God wants to pull down these walls. And I'll finish with this, is that a lot of times, you know what happens? We look at our lives, we, you know, we were talking about this last night. We pray, God, I want to know you more. Marshall was saying this last night. I want to know you more. I want to know you more. God, just, you know, I want, I want you to be, I want to sense your power in my life. And then what happens? Everything gets turned upside down. Mm-hmm. And we, and, but here's how we think, because we live in a blind spot. We don't associate that situation with God answering your prayer. Because it's a blind spot. We don't see it. We're like, okay, God, why are you doing that? Oh, that's the devil. The devil's attacking me. No, maybe it's God turning your life upside down mm-hmm. so that the walls can be torn down so the foundations can be exposed. Mm-hmm. And when the foundations are exposed, there's no condemnation. It's just God's love and grace and mercy. And he comes in and he says, I love you. And in and, and Ezekiel chapter 16, he says, I found you when you were a baby, totally helpless in your mother's blood. And you had not even been cleaned up. And I took you in. And there's the tender love of God. And you know something? When you mess up, when you fall down, when you feel like you're rejected, because the first response is reje- self-rejection. And by the way, if temptation comes at you, don't live in self-rejection because temptation comes at you. Just say, God, that's temptation. I confess that to you. I'm a new creation. And if you have to pray that prayer 400 times in three seconds, then do it because that's who you are. Get on the phone with somebody and get built up with who you are in Christ. Amen? And so I'll finish with this, is that the walls get torn down. Let's learn how to define and to discern in our life the walls that God's tearing down. And he does that through relationships. Hey, he does that through relationships. He does that through circumstances. He'll do that through our finances. He'll do that through our friendships. He'll do that through our family. God's breaking down walls. Why? Because he wants to rebuild something new. Walls of doctrine. Walls of teaching. Walls of health. Walls that we don't allow the devil, where the devil's not able to run in and run out of our soul and cause havoc. And, and wreak, and wreak um, chaos. Amen? Amen? Amen. So let's close in prayer. Um, we'll just, what we'll do is we'll take a few minutes of a break. We'll have something to eat. And then um, for those that can stay, um, we're going to have Pastor Adam do, do something. But before we close in prayer, do we have any comments? Do we have any questions? Any thoughts about what was just said?